BMG Partners and 1494 2AY presents The Journey Podcast. The stories you're about to hear are true. They shine a light on the events and incidents, known and unknown, that have shaped the lives of the Albury-Wodonga region's most intriguing personalities, local legends and unsung heroes. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to a new episode of The Journey, and today I'm talking with Paul Marshall, the Regional Operations Manager for VRA Rescue New South Wales. Paul has contributed greatly to local emergency services and played a significant role in bushfire and flood response over the past few years as well. He's also won numerous awards, which we'll get into a little bit later. Paul, hello. Good morning. Now, Paul, uh, we always like to kick things off by discovering your heritage to the area. So are you uh, born and bred local or did you move here? I'm a blow-in. I'm a blow-in. I uh, moved up here in 1994 for university. Um, So Melbourne boy, um, born down there and um, actually travelled the world a bit. Uh, I schooled in Singapore for a couple of years and then, um, yeah, came across and... uh, Got a spot in Charles State University, so moved up here and uh, loved the spot and end up marrying a local girl, so I think I'm almost a local now, so uh, yeah. You are, you are. You count <laughs> after this many years, I think. So what did you study at uni? I did a uh, Bachelor of Applied Science in Ecotourism, so uh, yeah, my path through life was always ever going to be as a kid. I was either going to be a police officer or a park ranger, um, and uh yeah, the park ranger thing popped its head up when I had a yeah. spot, an opportunity to go to university. So I did that, but uh, quickly found out that after graduating university, for a, to get a good spot within it as a park ranger, you've you've almost got to wait for someone to die because the really good ones uh, they see them right the way out. So right. yeah, so a couple of years of doing some seasonal stuff, and uh, yeah, and then fell into security and then into the police force. So yeah. Right, okay. And so how old were you when you um, first joined the police force? So I was 20, uh, I turned 25 at the police academy um, when I went in. So yeah, and it was a bit of a a moment because I had actually applied when I was 18. Yeah. Um, And as an 18 year old, (laughs) I didn't know how to spell marijuana and magistrate and all those important words that you need as a police officer. So uh, yeah, so I actually uh, missed out by spelling, uh, which was probably a good thing because I think at 18, probably a little bit too young. Um, yeah, it was good to get out and experience the world a little and do some other things and then, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, back in at 25, so, or 24 and, yeah, celebrated 25th birthday whilst I was there, so. Yeah, yeah, so you, like me, grew up uh, in the city. Yep. And so you came up here just after school. So how did you uh, acclimatise to country living? Obviously, you still enjoy it because yeah. you're still living here and, and you love the area, yeah. but um, did you miss the... The hustle and bustle of the city? Yes and no. <laughs> That's a strange answer. But yes, you do because, yep, you know, you've, you've got 24-hour access to a lot of things in town and there's always something going on. But uh, no, I, the, the country pace and just that, you know, being able to walk down the street and say good day to, you know, a bunch of people that you know, that's that's a really nice thing. But it is sometimes good to head down to the, the city yeah. and, and be the anonymous face and just disappear into the crowd. That's also um, enjoyable. But... Yeah, look, it's um, it, we are a little big city here anyway, so it's uh, it's not that it's quite country town. It's still plenty to do up here. Great food and great restaurants. So yeah, it wasn't too much of a a change. So yeah, well, you've seen plenty of changes too in that uh, period, and, yeah. and and plenty of growth. But it hasn't lost that feel. I w- I wouldn't imagine of no. of what you first discovered yep. back in the mid nineties. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, and it's a friendly, look, a very friendly um, community up here. Uh, and once you, especially when people realise that you're here for, you know, can contribute to the community. Um, yeah, they accept you really well. So and. I think I've hopefully done a bit of that so throughout the time. So you certainly yeah. have, and we've been getting to uh, your <laughs> contributions uh, very soon. But uh, let's let's take it back then to when you first joined the police force. Yep. So um, were you um, immediately put on duty here in, no, on the border? No, I spent uh, nearly three years at Heidelberg down in Melbourne, which was actually really good, very close to where my parents live. So that was that was handy because you know uh, it was nearly ten years to the day that I moved out <laughs> to to start university. <laughs> you are back again, and then ten years <laughs> moved back in. And go hi, mum, hi, dad. Remember me? Um, yeah, so very handy because uh, my my then fiance was living here um and uh yeah so we had a house up here but yeah i managed to be able to live down there great experience because it um was right at the time of the commonwealth games so i got to spend some time in there working as a police officer in there and a really good grounding um Holderberg was a, a good station it's it's busy um and busy enough to give you a good experience and because it is a central station one minute you're responding into collingwood mm. and into mm. town and then the next thing you're out to diamond creek and and mcleod and some of the country areas so it was a really good spot to start and a great crew like um, yeah. some of the bosses and the sergeants there were great to work under yeah, but what drew you back after three years there? I mean, you could have easily, I would imagine, stayed yeah. in the city as a police officer. What drew you back here? Yeah, certainly. We, we'd had that discussion, my wife and I, about whether we moved to Melbourne or not. Um, family, her family's up here. That was one big draw. Um, different opportunities. Um, I just, the, the country lifestyle, the country living, um, and, and one of the big things is cost of living as well. It is definitely a lot easier to live up here. Um, but yeah, look, um, again, I knew a lot of people at the Wodonga Police Station. I knew that there were some good good people, a lot of good people work there, so that was one of the big draws. Um, so yeah, and three years and just sat, sat back and waited, and next thing, there was a spot come up, so uh, yeah, back yeah. up and the rest is yeah. history. I spent the next... 15 years there so yeah yeah as a now I'm, i've known you as a as a highway yep. patrol officer yep uh, was that your focus right from the start was that your area or, or general duties and then you gravitated towards that yeah look it was one of those things i'd done a lot i'd done some plain clothes work in melbourne um <clears throat> so you sort of try a little bit of everything and i didn't sort of i didn't have a uh, right, that's it. Like you do get people that get in. I am going to be a detective. I am going to be this. Um, I'd always had a draw to the highway patrol. Um, you know, obviously through my volunteer work, road crashes and the like. But um, and you know what's not fun about driving nice fast cars. So you know that's always a big draw card. But um, yeah, look, an, an opportunity came up. A position came up. So I was like, yeah, throw my hat in the ring and uh, and got it. And found it. Yeah, look, it was definitely somewhere I really enjoyed working and really loved working because. You've got 10,000 square kilometres up here to play in. So, you know, we could be in Corriong one day and yeah, down yeah. towards Bundalong the next. So, yeah, it was a great varied job to do. But, um, but yeah, look, time and general duties. Um, yeah, I'd spent some time doing some temporary duties and detectives and all the like. But, um, yeah, the, the, the proactiveness, I think, of the Highway Patrol was what drew me. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to talk about the link between the policing and uh, the VRA Rescue Squad, um, Border border and Albury Rescue Squad, and, and, and how that kind of interacts, because obviously you would have experienced a great number of crashes and, and, and serious situations. Mm. So was it your experience of, um, of seeing those accidents and dealing um, with the ramifications of accidents, was that what drew you to also volunteering for the 
for the rescue squad? I think the ultimate thing <clears throat> is being able to help. And I know that is a little fairly broad, but it's that ability to know that when you turn up, it is going to make a difference. And whether I was wearing my volunteer uniform or my police uniform, you can turn up and you can make a difference. Um, you can actually immediately start to do something to help someone. Um, in the rescue squad, yep, we do that. I can get the tools out and I can immediately start to cut someone out of a car if that's the case, or you know, we can go searching for someone if they're missing. Um, in the police force, it's slightly different. You can turn up and make a difference by starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together and start to yeah, give people answers yeah. to what's happened. So, yeah, it's that being able to make a difference, being able to help. That yeah. was what drew me to both. But for most people, let's be honest, just working as a police officer will well and truly be enough <laughs> work yes. and enough yep. contribution. But what made you think, you know what, I'm going to spend more of my free time not on just free activities, but actually contributing more by by joining the rescue squad. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually joined the rescue probably three, almost four years before I joined the police force, um, and just through a friend at work. And it was always something that obviously I did have an interest in the police um, early in my early days. Um, but yeah, it was something that drew me along. And the, the mateship, the friendship, the team you've got down there keeps you coming back. So they're a great bunch of people. And again, just seeing that you can make that difference. Yeah. Um, I did see it, yep, as a bit of a stepping stone to the police force. You go, right, that's going to give me a, a good bit of um, information in my back. You know, I can see if I can deal with these situations. So it was good exposure. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it drew me back when I did get back up here and back to living in the on the border straight back in um yeah took up the role as the secretary almost immediately and things like that so yeah yeah the the fact that yeah the the, the team around you that they're doing it for free as well uh, you know the volunteering their time that sort of really does draw you in so talk me through um how it works uh, in terms of the the, the, the structure of, of the rescue squad and how that works in relation to some of the other services so for those that that, that don't know um how does the uh, Albury and Border Rescue Squad work in in with the Saudi SES yep. and and with other emergency services, so fireys and stuff. In the last five years, VRA Rescue New South Wales has undergone change. We were the Volunteer Rescue Association of New South Wales. It started back in 1962 with um, basically down here it was a drowning and a group of blokes and someone just went in the pub and went right. You've got a boat, you're handy, let's go. And it started as the Albury and Border Land and Water Search and Rescue Club. So. And the then um, boss of police rescue up in Sydney saw that we had, there was ourselves here in Albury, there was Dubbo, uh, Narendra had something in Wagga, and he went, everybody's doing a good thing here, let's formalise it. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> we were our own entity at the time, we still, we were Albury and Border Rescue Squad under the VRA. Um, I sort of describe it like a bit of a Jim's Mowing franchise. Um, so we were our own entity, we were our, we were our we were our own association, yes, but we acted under the franchise, which was fair eight. Um, <clears throat> five years ago, they started to go, okay, we need to just change things and get a little bit more, you know, in in, in line with policies and that. So we're now VR Rescue um, here in the border. Uh, yep, we have SES. So, but their role is flood and storm. So you know, if there's trees down, floods, etc. We're the general land rescue squad for the area so everything else anything from a cat down a drain um kids with fingers caught in plug mm, holes mm. to yes the the serious road crashes and things like that um airplane crashes we've been to and the like so yeah and and everything in between so yeah um 
And it's a lot of training. Like we, we you have to become a, a an accredited general land rescue operator. So that usually takes about twelve months to two years to, to gain full qualifications. <clears throat> We're now qualified in urban search and rescue as well in, in category in the low level. So we don't get all of the fancy surveying equipment out, but the rubble crawls and that. And we had members at our squad involved in the Threadbow um, disaster years gone by. Mm. So yeah, when you see that history and you see you know the, the the white overalls of that's that was our heritage because it came from police rescue we wore the white we're now in the green um but yeah you see that history and you go i'm part of that same with the police force you see the history and it, it it's bigger than you but you're now part of it so it's a, a brotherhood a family a whatever title you want to put on it yeah but yeah it's great to be a part of yeah um how difficult is it to manage emotionally um both as a as a police officer uh, who would witness a lot of, of horrible situations and, and, and crashes and also the, as part of the rescue squad. Is it difficult e- emotionally? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's no denying it. And, you know, I, 18 years in the police force, I'm certainly a different person for it from what I've seen and witnessed and heard and smelt and all the rest of it. Yeah, you, you can't deny that. Um, how you manage it and how you get through it and how you compartmentalise it, so to speak. Um, I was been lucky through the police force as well. I was part of their welfare peer support program and all the rest of it. So that that not only gives me coping tools, it goes to see how I can help others. And again, it's making a difference to someone else. And I think that's mm. one of the things that all the way through is being able to make a, you know, just helping someone else. Um, and a lot of the time it's, you know, you don't have to solve their problems. It's just sitting with some people just going, yeah. yep, yeah. we're here to help. It's all good. But yeah, look, smells is one big thing with uh, any car accident. Any, I know people that now can't have barbecues. They can't cook a particular type of meat on a barbecue because of the smell. Oh. It, it relates to mm. uh, it mm. relates to incidents. So yeah, you do see that. Um, we say that in any emergency service, you've got a bucket. Make sure you empty that bucket because if it gets full and spills over, then that's that's not a time that you want to yeah, be. So yeah. yeah, you have to look after yourself. Um, yeah. I think for me as well, it's as I said earlier, being able to make that difference, it, and that's how I look at it. Is I go right. It's a bad situation. It's you know if it's a car accident or something, it's a bad situation. But what can I do from this point forward to try and make it better? Mm, mm. And when you look at it that way, you actually go okay. I, I am making a difference. I am doing something good. So yes, the terrible sights, the terrible sounds and smells, you can you can deal with it just a little bit better by going, yes, that was terrible. Yeah. But we had this good outcome, or we had this result. So, yeah. 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 So. Have you have you drawn inspiration from um, others, specific people or, or, or groups in the way that you you manage you manage it all? Yeah. Look, you, you definitely throughout my journey um i've taken a lot from other people so one of the things you see is you go, i like how that person does that and that person does get um too many names to mention look i've been mentored by some really great people in the rescue squad um you know people that just get in and do the job and and it, let's do it the old school rough mm. guys where i'll just pick that up and break that apart and do that to other people that you know the managing side of things going okay let's look at the people let's do all this um yeah look there's been Again, hard to name in particular ones, but, you know, throughout the years I've had good sergeants, good thing, and you just a little bit of advice from everybody, um, you know. I've had had good advice and, and people also realise that if you if you take that advice, they're willing to give it. 
So if you just sit there and go, yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, thank you. No, yeah. They just yeah. go, oh, okay, I'm not going to waste my time. He hasn't listened to me. But if you take it and you digest it, then, yeah, it'll keep coming. And that was one of the things I learned. And um, back in the academy, I was told you've got two eyes, two ears, one mouth. Use them in that ratio. So listen and look about what's going on a lot more than you speak. Um, and it, it does. It puts you in good stead. And when you do that, especially at a scene, you can look and absorb and see what's going on before you actually speak. You take that moment, you breathe. Um there was an old member, I only got to work in the rescue squad with him for a very short time before he passed away. Um, Tommy was his name, and one of the things he would do was walk into a scene and he would roll a cigarette and look it around, roll a cigarette, put it behind his ear, and then go, right, lads, this is what we're going to do. And it's that moment to process yes, and ground yourself. And, um, yeah, so you just take that little moment and, uh, yeah, so you just have to pull in from a lot of other sources. Yeah, yeah. Well, d- well just on that, what what attributes, um, because I would imagine that there would be a lot of people uh, maybe who have wanted to help over the years but just aren't quite right in terms of their, their, what they need to be successful in yeah. it and, to, and, and, and to, to work well within the, the, the group. So what attributes are really important? One of the things I'd say was be, be a duck. <laughs> so look very calm on the surface, but underneath you might be paddling like all hell. Um, that's a really good, because especially in, in a serious situation, if you run in going, oh my God, look, everything's yes. on fire, it's going to, everybody ends up. But if you just walk in and like Tommy did, walk in, roll his cigarette and go, rightio, it's, it's that cool, calm and collected. It might well just be a very, <laughs> a very good mask that you wear. Um, and over time it does become it becomes easier. So you are going, right, okay, little things like, you know. Yes. A little bit of advice so they go, never run into a scene. You know, just walk, absorb it. it you know, it's for safety reasons and everything. There's hoses and debris and all sorts of stuff. But, yeah, I think um, analytical, just to be able to see things and go, right, what have I got? And also one of the things I always say to people is it's like eating an elephant. It's one bite at a time. <laughs> And, and, mm. and some of those bites are going to be really tasty. You know, there's some really nice meaty parts. Some of those parts aren't going to be so tasty. Yes. Um, but you have to look at it and go, it is an elephant. It is huge. But I can work through this. So you've got to compartmentalise. You've got to break it down. And that's one of the things I can see. And throughout in, in some of the business that I've had to be involved in, that if you just break it down into bite-sized pieces, if you try and take the whole big picture in one – it can be overwhelming. Mm, so you've just mm. got to – and, yeah, that ability to prioritise, to to just break it down, it makes things a lot easier in the long run. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, had the two roles as a, as a police officer, highway patrol officer, and, and you uh, were also in the, in the VRA. But then you made the decision to focus just on the rescue squad. So was that a, a difficult decision for you to make and, and why did you eventually yep. make that decision to leave the police force? I actually left the police force to go into Resilience New South Wales, which was the old Office of Emergency Management, which I still am part of. Um, but thankfully along the way, yes, there was being able to, when I left the police force, it, it allowed me, um, just because of the um, the conflict of interests and, and outside interests, it's hard to have a second paid job. Um, volunteerism, they love um, but that second paid and, right. and now as, mm. a, as a regional operations manager, um, 
not paid a fortune, <laughs> but it's a retained job. So, yes, I am paid and I do have a, a vehicle and the like, so I can give more time to it. And now I'm able to balance that with working for the New South Wales government. Um, and, uh, yeah, which is good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's almost a different question to, to really ask, but um, did you feel like you'd contribute more in this space than as a police officer, what what ultimately made? Because I know, I know that you you enjoyed both mm. and, and you felt fulfilled with with both roles. But what nudged it over the line for for the rescue side? Oh, look, I think it's one of those moments where you look at your life and you start going, okay, I'm not the 25 year old I was when I joined up. Where, where am I going? What am I doing? Um, there was the path for for promotion and whatnot in the police force, but looking around, going, okay, I could do that, and I could, you know. Where am I going to be? Where am I going to be in 10 years? Um, <clears throat> and I could see that, you know, uh, the skills that I had, as you've mentioned earlier, through floods and fires, I've, I've been, through, been through the Black Saturday fires, I've been through the Black Summer fires, um, all the flooding up in Lismore just recently, I was up there. So you look at that and you go, okay, what can I contribute? Um, yep, I could be in the police car driving around and, you know, yes, we're giving out tickets in the highway patrol and all that sort of stuff, trying to be proactive, trying to educate people. And a little bit reactive when something does happen, mm. like a car accident. Um, but in the other roles, I can be – the balance will be a little different. So, yes, we can be reactive, same thing. I can still have my fix of red and blue lights when we get a car crash. But I can also – one of the things I've looked at is I can now influence others. So, you know, I, I have more – We I did a bit of training throughout the police. You know, we get trainees and you take them out and all the rest of it. But now, as a regional operation, I can look after a whole region. I've got 220 volunteers um, in 10 squads that we look after. Um, so, yeah, I can, I can play a role in, A, their welfare, um, just little things like, you know, getting them a laptop for the, for the squad so they can do better training, little things like that. Um, <clears throat> and also just – with the change of the VRA, um, being able to influence in that change and, yes. and, and see that it's going to be better for the future. Yeah, yeah. So am I right in saying you're less hands-on now at emergency scenes or do you still...? Um, I have to be. It's hard sometimes. Uh, just being me, I, I, you know, you do want to get in there. Um, even just when I took on the captain's role, it's that moment of, okay, just take a little step back. Um, for example, only... Two weekends ago, we were up at um, Janolan Caves to help assisting New South Wales Police, a homicide investigation and um, missing person. We were trying to find evidence and possible human remains. So, um, yeah, I packed everything. I kept my backpack and my thing and my boots and everything. And it was like, oh, no, your operations manager, you're here at the command post and you're going to be there. And you go, oh, oh, okay. And I know I can do it and I know I can help the guys, but you're still like, oh, I'm seeing 50-odd volunteers out there tramping every day and you want to be out there with them to help because yeah and you sort of get back and you you know they've got sore feet yeah. and they're a bit wet yeah. and cold and you sort of look back going oh yeah i got to sit in a, a warm especially on the last day when it started snowing up there and i'm sitting it was still cold <laughs> but uh yeah you do still want to be out there with the guys but you realize as well that you go okay i now have a different role to play um, and I have an overarching role, so I can play a different and, and keep all of these volunteers by, you know, ensuring that they're fed and watered, ensuring that their welfare is okay, making sure that they have all the correct coordinates so that they don't get lost. Um, yeah, so it's a shift, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it takes a little getting used to because you still do want to get out and get your hands dirty, and I still do. Um, when there's call-outs, I'll still go and, you know, jump in a boat and help people. So, But, 
we've got a very competent and talented crew here now, so it's I, I, I am able to step back a little. So yeah. Yeah, and you know an interesting um, aspect is when I when I look at you and I've known you for quite a number of years, and and you always look, um, um, I would say happy and fulfilled with what you're doing. You always look like this is this is the life that you were meant to to live. But do you ever kind of think that? Oh, I wonder what would have happened if I became a park ranger. Or oh. do you, have you had one of those sliding door moments? Absolutely. That- yeah. Look, I even thought, you know, if I had have gotten the police force at 18, I, I wouldn't be here. I would have probably been in Melbourne. Um, I wouldn't have ever, probably never come to the Wodonga Albury region. So yeah, that would have been very different in my life. I never would have met my wife, I, all of that sort of thing. So yeah, had I have gotten the police force at 18, um, that was different. Had I have gone straight out of university, I was offered a couple of rangers jobs. Um, straight out of university, they were in the back of beyond somewhere and mm. as a 22 year old chappy going oh man i'm never going to see a pub again in my life you know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you do have those moments where you do start to think oh look yeah and if i had have taken it yep yeah, my life would have been yeah. yeah one of the jobs was in west australia so i could have been miles away um so yeah but um yeah you do think about it um but it was one of those things. I look back, uh, even my mother used to say, you know, I've got photos, dress-up day at school, and, yeah, I was the police officer kid, um, you know, go to the show, and I was always on the police motorbike and that sort of thing. So I think it was there very early for me. Um, but, yeah, so it, it's been – it was difficult to step away from the police force um, because it is – you, and you, you're told day one you will always be – you know, even when you're out, you will always be the former police officer or the retired police officer. Mm, mm. So you wear that. And it look, um, some people see it as a burden. I see it definitely as a badge of honour. You go, yep, no, I have served um, and I've done my bit. Um, yeah, so, and now it's with the volunteering. You can wear that badge and go, yep, you know, I've been privileged and I've had a few titles thrown at me with that, so... Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's 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 turn our attention because I know that you obviously you don't do it for for awards and 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 recognition, but um, it is obviously a way that you can tell that your contributions have really made a difference. So um, I know you've won the Emergency Services Medal and Rotary Emergency Services Award. Yep. I'm probably missing some as, <laughs> as well. Um, talk me through your perspective on 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 awards and what they mean to you. Yeah. Look, very. Early, well, through Black Saturday, um, I was involved Black Saturday. Um, I remember I was on shift and we I got a call. It, it's turned to I won't use a language out in Beechworth. Let's go. And after that, I was, you know, you need to put in for the national medal. There's a national medal put in for it. I'm going, oh, okay, what, what's that about? Oh, it's a national medal. You put in, you, uh, wait, so I, I nominate myself for a minute like I, I couldn't get my head around that I'm like how do I nominate and I do sort of and, and I'm kicking myself a little I didn't at the time but I still can retrospectively but um yeah you sort of go well no I I, I did what I was asked to do um you know I was asked to go out and, and help and and evacuate people and all the rest of it and um yeah so but I had uh, an inspector tell me um that the award's not for you it's nice to put on your chest when you're all dressed up and all the rest of it. It's for your family. It's for your partner. It's for everybody around you to go, ah, yes, we know that guy. And yeah, yep. And it's amazing when things like that do come in, how people do start to come out and go, oh, yeah, you helped me with this and I remember this. And yeah, and so, yeah, so there's there's been a few. Um, yeah, in 2019, I got the Rotary Emergency Services Volunteer of New South Wales and then 
the first national. Um, and that was rather, you know, humbling. They always say, um, don't use that, you know, wear it proudly. And you, you do, but it still, it still gives you a lot of sense of humility. Um, and then, yeah, just this year I received the Emergency Services Medal, which now apparently I've got uh, post-nominal, so I can officially now be Paul Marshall ESM and <laughs> all of great. that stuff comes with it. And look, it's, again, you go up to Government House in Sydney and the, and the Governor, she presented it to me and yeah. she was even the one that says, you know, you're not allowed to be humil... humid. I'm not going to say the word. You're not allowed to take it with humility today. You have to wear it proudly. So, yeah, and you, you do. And having my mum in the room was a, was a big positive and, yeah, so... You do. You sort of look at it and go, okay. And mm, mm. you do sort of look at some awards and you go, oh, you know, there was a bravery award there where a fella had got into an overturned car and saved the person. And, yeah. and then here's me getting up and I get my medal and you go, I, I didn't jump into a car like he did. I've cut plenty of people out of cars, but he was, you know, it happened in front of him. But when you look at the cumulative effect and you look and you go, yeah, okay, all right, yeah. And um, look, I there was early in the piece, there was a, uh, TED talk that I watched uh, called the lollipop moment and it's about a guy that it's a university and he just he was a student counsellor just gives a young bloke a lollipop and he said you know what the girl in front she was all she was upset she didn't want to be there that girl in front you need to give her this lollipop and, char- ch- and change her day make her happy did that it was just his daily job mm. he just did it and uh, years later when he was leaving the university she came up with a baby and her husband which was the fellow that gave her the lollipop. Oh, wow. And you look and you go, yeah, and you think about it going back now, you go, how many lollipop moments have I had? Yeah. I don't know if I've done something in a car crash and someone survived and managed to go and get married and have a baby. I, there are a couple. Um, we've been at the market selling raffle tickets and and I've had a lady come up with her little probably two or three-year-old daughter and she only said, look, if you guys weren't there to get me out of my car... The little one probably wouldn't be here. Wow. And you sort of look, yeah. And I, I, I remember the accident. Um, but yeah, you have those little moments where you go, oh, wow, okay. I, I have actually affected two lives there. Yeah. Yeah. But I was doing what I was doing. Well, you know, the call goes out. Oh, it's another car accident. Let's go. Do what you're trained to do. And uh, yeah. But when you look back at those, and there's probably numerous ones yes. that I, that I yeah. don't even know yeah. about. Yeah. And. That when you're looking, and we we're talking before about PTSD and all of that bad stuff, if you can balance it with some of that good stuff, you go, it's not so bad. Yeah, and that that's the difference to, to most of us. You, you know, you you genuinely um, giving people the opportunity to have lives that they potentially never would have had mm. because of, of of what you've done. Um, I just want to change tack a little bit, sure. and I'm not sure how much you can talk about this, but it would be remiss of me not just to touch on the COVID years. Um, now obviously, the police had to... Um, you had to do things that maybe even personally you didn't agree with. Mm. Obviously, here, you had to stop people from just living their lives yep. in a cross-border community. How difficult was that for you? Um, because, again, you're all individuals and I'm sure you all have your differing <laughs> opinions on that. So how difficult was that? Yeah, oh, look, there was... Absolutely times where you sit back and, and even at any large scale uh, event like that, fires and anything, you look back and you go, oh, what, what, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, look, prime example um, was with the border closures and I was in the Highway Patrol and when we saw it all happening in the New South Wales side, there was a group of us, um, sergeant and a couple of inspectors, we all went, right, okay, if this flips tomorrow, what are we doing? 
what what if you know someone sitting in in Parliament House in Victoria goes, I decree that we're going to shut our border. Mm. What do we do? So we went along and we did a plan, and you know all the forty two different river crossings along the border. Yep, okay, and uh, we do all that, and then they come along from Melbourne and they've gone. Nope, we know better. We've just done the Ring of Steel. Watch us go, and we sat back watching the freeway, and you go, it's different. We live in the country. It's different, mm. um, and you know that's a huge freeway. It's a very different beast from any other freeway in the in the world. So, yeah, it it was frustrating. You do have moments of just going, "What are you doing?" Um, you work through it. You realise again, it's the elephant um, scenario. It, it's a bigger picture. Um, so even though one or two, yeah, and we had days where you're just going, "What is going on here? Why are we doing it?" And yeah, you, yeah, absolutely, you do. Um, but you also look going. It, there is a bigger picture. There are some smarter people out there that are obviously making this decision, right or wrong. Um, they're doing it for a reason, um, you know, and we see all the protests afterwards. My cousin joined the police force. She was involved. She had to be down there when they were having all those protests in Melbourne. Mm. Um, and I get the angst of people, but I also look and I go, that's my little cousin, and people are throwing bottles of urine mm. at her and mm. all of that sort of thing. And mm. you go, really? Like, come on. So, yeah, it does take a lot. Um, and... During fires even, when you're evacuating people and you're just, you know, you're sitting there going, you have to go. And they don't, you know, oh, but my pet, I know that, but it's hard and, yep, but, you know, where are we at? And as long as you can, if you can make informed decisions, if you can if you can have a little bit of background, um, yep, and look ultimately as well, there is sometimes with a police officer, you just have to go, you know what, it's not me. It's the uniform, it's the job. I'll just do what I'm told to do. And as hard as that is sometimes, that is one thing you do have to do. Um, same as with the rescue, sometimes you just got to go, okay, that's nasty, mm. but I've got to do it because I made the decision to put this uniform on, yeah. yep. wear that badge, whatever the case may be. Um, yep, yep, I know that there was police officers left over the vaccine mandate and all the rest of it, but I looked and I'm like, again, there's people out there that are smarter than me making these decisions, so... I'll make an educated decision myself, but I'll take a lot of, you know, what what they've got to say. Um, conspiracy theories aside and all of that sort of stuff, you do look and you go, okay, we, we have to... And again, it's, it's looking at bigger than you. It's not just, oh, I don't like it, so I'm not going to do it. It's, I don't like it, but I have to look at it in the in the community, in a world, in a in a state picture. So yeah, sometimes you've yeah. just got to you've yep. got to open up that vision. All right, now we are running out of time. I could literally <laughs> talk to you for hours and hours. So I'm just going to fire off some quick fire sure. questions for you, but you can't spend too long no. answering them. But I want to I want to get as many through <laughs> as I possibly can. What was the worst excuse you ever heard for speeding? I have to go to the toilet. And is that used fairly often? It's used a lot, and they've just driven past the service station. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. won't use the language that they do use, but uh, yeah, I have to go to the toilet. Um, that's a that's a genuine one. Other people are just like oh, and it always made me laugh that you know, you you were spe- and they look down at their speedo and you go, "Well, you stop now, so your speed is going to be zero. So it's no point looking at your yes, speedo now because yes, yes. you're not you're not telling how fast you're going at the moment. But yeah, going to the toilet is, right. is a regular one. What was the most exciting rescue? That you have been a part of? Um, I have dragged people clinging to snags out of the river, um, managed to pull a boat up alongside of them and they had that moment where you literally pull them in the boat and they collapse because they are just physically drained. Um, and knowing that 
yeah, a couple more minutes, that person may have let go and we may have been searching for a body after that. Yeah, so those ones are big. Um, yeah, those – it's that – it's a childhood dream. You know, you, you, you kick that goal on the final sire and you do that – those ones where you've gone, you know, we've literally dragged someone out of the car and it's on fire in a minute and those type of things. We've, I've, yeah, there's been a few of those. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, they're the, yeah, they're good ones where you sort of go right. I was in the right place at the right time, thankfully. Yeah, and, and my skills and training and equipment yeah. did what they were supposed to do. Yeah, um, a lot has been talked about um, lack of volunteers, especially post COVID. How are you finding that? Um, firstly and secondly, what would you say to anyone who is considering volunteering for something like the VRA yep. Rescue Squad? Yeah. Oh, look, it, there's definitely been a shift. Um, we've actually been very lucky down here that the last probably we've had we have had a few people through the door in the last couple of years since COVID, um, and predominantly we've had young females, which is which is really good because it adds that diversity, it mm. adds a different level, and they're go getters as well. That's one of the things. Um, I think the difference with volunteering these days is give what you can. You know, um, don't look at people like me. I'm. I, I give everything I can. <laughs> I mean, talk to my wife. There's no free moment. It's you know, I finish work and the phone's still ringing. I'm still answering emails. That's me. Don't don't judge by that. That's my silly um, decision. But um, yeah, look, I think it's one of those what you can give. Um, yeah, and it's it, actually my mother said it was. There's a generation at the moment. We have an iPhone. We have an iPad, and it's very much I. I'm looking at I. What do I get? But you have to open that vision and go, right, what can we, what can I do with the community? What can we do better? So, yeah, um, and it's rewarding. That's, you know, you're getting something and you get to be part of it. And for me as well, it's a hobby. It's I know mm, that sounds very mm. strange, but it's something that, you know, I can step away from and switch off what else is going on in life and just focus on some of the hard stuff with rescue. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And thinking ahead, uh, what's next for you and the family? Um, look, hoping to continue with our rescue and um, and move up and and, and help on a, on a larger scale uh, at a state level um, that would be great I, I'm playing a part in that now thankfully with the new commissioner I'm helping him out and uh, that's big um, yeah look I think uh, Aubrey's got me hook line and sinker so I'm not looking at moving anytime soon there has been the carrot dangled with Queensland police you know they're offering all sorts of incentives and the like so you know I'll move up here and move up there um, the police force still has its claws in me. Yep, every day. And thankfully, Victoria Police have something where you can you can leave, but you can you've got five years. You can head back at rank. So that is still there in the back of my mind, going, oh, every now and again, I'm like, yeah, I could do it. And then there's days I'm like, no. But yeah, so that drawer is definitely still there. But it will be emergency services. It's it's my blood now. It's uh, it's what I do. It's you know, um, and. Just being able to help in in those times of large scale emergencies, just to you know, be your part of the jigsaw puzzle. That's yeah, that's yeah, what, that's yeah. just if I can just keep doing that, it'll keep me happy. All right, now we we always end with, and I literally could spend hours and hours talking <laughs> to you, but uh, we are out of time. But uh, we we traditionally wrap up with three uh, simple questions. Well, actually, sometimes not quite so simple. <laughs> if you were able to invite three people to your dinner party, dead or alive, who would they be and why? Oh, um, Simon Sinek is one. He's a, a motivational speaker about leadership. He just has some very interesting views of the world and just um, grounding views. So, uh, yeah, I think he'd be just, just really good conversation. Um, you've got to have someone like, you know, 
the, the Frank Sinatra's of the world or the Elvis Presley. So I'll say Frank Sinatra just because of the stories, just because mm. of the, you know, what they can bring and just blow your mind of the things that used to happen in days gone by. And um, I think the third would probably be um, probably my mother, just because, uh, yeah, she's been through me with me through thick and thin and uh, she can have a good old conversation with Frank Sinatra. She yeah, loves, she loves yeah. a chat. Um, but, yeah, she's... She she has a lot to say as well. So yeah, so yeah, those three. yeah. Is it wonderful to make your parents proud? Your mum and and dad. Is your dad still? Yeah, yeah. Dad, dad. Yeah. Um, he. Yeah, well, we're thankful. He had a very big health scare last year, so he's still with us. Um, yeah, he fell over with a heart attack, and uh, again, yeah, being in the emergency services realm, you, you know how how lucky he is. Um, yeah, yeah. They're both there. He couldn't make it to the the medal presentation because of his health, but uh, mum was there, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, you know, it gets very dusty in any room when you see your mum sitting there and she's crying and all of a sudden you're uh, holding back the tears. So, yeah, so uh, it, it is. It does make you proud. All right, last two. Sweet or savoury? Sweet. Oh, you're sweet, man. Oh, I yeah. would have thought you'd be a no, savoury. No, chocolate is a, is a vice. <laughs> all right, final final question. Um, actually, no, we'll, we'll throw in a couple more. Just, just very quickly, plans for the weekend? Um, well, I've actually got to head up uh, to an emergency services exercise. I knew it would have something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the Saturday we'll be celebrating my wife's birthday. So. Oh, very yeah. nice. And finally, do you have any good recommendations for us, whether it's something you're reading, watching, listening to? Yeah, look, um, I've just recently been into the Gary Jubilant podcast, uh, I Catch Killers, um, and there's a bit of a local flavour there. Uh, Graham Sinfendorfer, one of the detectives I work with, yes. uh, yeah, he's, he's had a few. Um, very interesting because... Gary uh, interviews all sorts, um, from prostitutes to murderers to criminals. So that's, yeah, that, that's really hooked me in for the moment. Um, yeah, uh, other recommendations? Um, Thai food at the moment. I'm loving Thai food. There we go. <laughs> Thai <laughs> food. <laughs> but, yeah, so they're, they're probably my two at the moment, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Paul Marshall, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I knew it would be fascinating and um, it's just we've only just kind of felt like we just, just touched the surface of it really, but it's been fascinating to find out a little bit more about your story. Thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. 